right, guys, so we've prayed a couple of times tonight. I'm just going to pray again, and then I'm just going to get started. So, Father, thank you so much for this evening. Thank you so much for bringing us all here. Thank you for this great opportunity just to be sharing with the people here, sharing with my church family, sharing with some of my own family and friends and community. And, Lord, I just pray for this time together. I thank you for the time we've already had. I pray that any words that I would say in my own strength will just fall away. Lord, I empty myself out. I ask that you fill up the gap. And I pray that anything that speaks through me from you tonight will stick and that the rest will just sort of just blow away. So, Holy Spirit, we are welcome here tonight. Thank you so much. And yeah, I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have a probably a, a little bit of a wild card sort of sermon to give. But before I give that, uh, Bill asked me to share a wee bit of what I've been up to. I haven't been on this stage behind the Britney Spears mic anyway for a while. Uh, the last time I spoke, I think, was just in between uh, two trips to New York. And so I'm just going to give you a whistle-stop tour of my life. I promise it's going to be very, very quick. Uh, for some of you who maybe don't know me, or maybe for some of you who do know me but actually just don't really know anything about me. So this was me. Uh, I know, so cute, wasn't I? Uh, so this is me, probably about eight years old. And what was my life like as a child? I had an incredible childhood. Um, I'm really, really fortunate to have grown up in a loving Christian home. had two great parents who loved me and took good care of me, carted me off to Sunday school probably more times than I would have wanted to, and all that good stuff. Painfully, painfully shy as a child. I mean, if you said boo to me, I just would have cried. Really, really, really timid. Didn't want to talk to anybody. Loved being in my books. Massive, massive kind of bookworm. Loved my video games, always playing Pokemon and all that sort of stuff. Without going into a massive story, I found God, or rather, I suppose God found me, as you should probably say, at a very difficult season in my life. Um, as a uh, period of sickness, period of mental health problems, period of addiction. Uh, I've struggled with depression throughout my life, up and down at various points, struggled with suicidal thoughts, all these sort of big things. And God really met me in my darkest moment and radically saved me, as we like to say. And that set me off on a bit of a roller coaster journey, as I'm sure all of you have been on as well. This is me, we'll probably say 15-ish, something like that. And, you know, stumbled my way through high school just the way I think all teenagers do. I was going to church, but was kind of just living the Christian life in church, and then uh, during the week was just kind of trying to fit in, trying to find myself in school, hated school, loved the community aspect of school. Uh, whenever I got saved, I really came out of my shell for any kind of comic book fans. I describe it as kind of like the Peter Parker moment. The glasses came off. I was confident. I was going around. It was a life and soul of the party and really enjoyed meeting people, really loved asking questions, getting to know them and all that sort of good stuff, but hated school. Could never find anything that I was good at. Was always terrible at sports. Was no good at science. I'm not like my sister Rachel, who's like a maths genius. I just, all I was good at was English literature. And really the career's advice was, you're not really going to get very far with English literature, mate. So I was like, flip me. Was very fortunate. Fell into something called Young Enterprise. I don't know if anyone's aware of this. Basically helps stir up entrepreneurial young people. And this was whenever I kind of found my thing. Like I found my sport. That it was my rugby and it was business, and I always enjoyed making money. As Granny will, uh, <laughs> Granny's been like my business partner over the years. We did loads of things. We were exporting Tito crisps to people uh, from Northern Ireland living in Australia and all around the world. Uh, with Young Enterprise, I started a wee t shirt company, and uh, you know, Granny's packed many of t shirts with me when I was supposed to be doing my GCSEs. But that was my thing, really enjoyed it. I started to see how actually my God given skill set of you know, communication and writing and coming up with quirky we sayings could actually be used in the marketplace and all these sort of big terminologies. And so 
did not want to go to uni. I was like, uni is out of the question. I am not going to waste four years of my life. Are you serious? Like, get me out of here. And really felt like God was leading me to do other things. 16, Stephen Hines, who's up here this morning playing the guitar, best man at our wedding, uh, he leaned over to me in Maz class. We were in the bottom Maz class together. And he said, here, mate, do you want to go to Germany? I was like, didn't really know Steve very well. I was like, what's in Germany? He goes, loads of really good-looking German girls. <laughs> and I was like... That sounds pretty good, Steve. Uh, yeah, let's, let's do that. So we went to something called Teen Street. It's the first time I met Bill, first time I met Jamie Robinson, a couple of you guys in the church. And that was really never God seriously sat me down or stood me up or whatever he did and just sort of said, look, Matthew, you got to make a choice. You're going to go my way. You're going to go your way. Look how your way's going. It's not really working out too well for you. And really just as, oh, with all the naivety of a 16-year-old, I just went, yeah, sure, God, let's do this. Let's go your way. So got to uni, had offers from university, just said no because uh, I felt like God was leading me elsewhere. So I ended up going to Rwanda for three months. I was in Haiti, I was in Nepal, and then I ended up in uh, New York City, woo! Uh, where every kind of washed up writer ends up probably by the time he's 19, but that's just the way it works. And was working for a church out there, was the only planned to be there for 10 months, ended up signing for three years. Always planned to be single my whole life. Always said I'd be like the Apostle Paul, going around the place, you know, dedicated to the ministry, dedicated to the work, going around all around the world, jumping out of helicopters, all this sort of stuff. And then this happened. I met the wonderful Jackie. Jackie is from Germany. If you haven't met Jackie, please talk to her afterwards. She's a nurse. She's incredible. And we met. We were working together. Again, she was only supposed to be there for 10 months. And then, of course, this happened. And then this happened. And then, way, uh, we got married. We had an amazing time in New York City, amazing time serving God, really, really hands-on work, working with homelessness, working with drug addicts, working with gangs, going into apartments where people would just not have any interaction with the outside world, chronic hoarders. I don't know if you've ever seen any hoarding programs on TV, people hoarding stuff up to the ceiling, fire hazards, all this sort of stuff. Really, really, really love people. Really enjoyed working with people. Wanted to be a social worker because my mom's a social worker. Mom was also a nurse. So that was always kind of instilled in me from a young age. But to be quite honest, people drain me massively. And so here I was. We were working six-day weeks. We were working 60-hour weeks pretty much. We had one day off. And we lived with the people that we were mentoring and discipling. And me being a massive introvert, it just absolutely sucked the life out of me, I'll be honest. And I had an amazing time. God used me in incredible ways. And absolutely, one of the most, some of the most formative years in my life. And uh, the, even the leadership we were under and stuff was just amazing. But I was just done. So got married, had a great time. Honeymoon was last. And then kind of just washed up to Belfast and just didn't really know I was back, back to 16, it's like, I don't really know what I'm going to do, because a lot of my identity was kind of wrapped around, I'm a missionary, or I'm a servant of the Lord, and I'm doing full-time ministry, all these kind of big words. So I washed up to Belfast and just needed a break, just needed some time to figure my life out. It's such a millennial thing to say, but that's just the truth. So this is even more millennial. I was, started working as a gardener for a while, uh, was working for Deliveroo, uh, started going to Queens to do a creative writing course and all this sort of stuff, and it was while I was kind of cycling around Belfast and really seeing the city for the first time, because I'm a Lisburn boy, born and bred, did a wee stint in McGabry, not in the prison, uh, just Willow Lodge, just before the prison, and then back to Lisburn, did my school in Lisburn, so Belfast was somewhere I never really experienced, and when I was in Belfast, you know, Jackie and I moved to Belfast, we were living there, I just got the Belfast bug. And when I hated Northern Ireland when I was growing up. I was like, can't wait to leave this small town country. Can't wait to see the big bad world. You know, Northern Ireland's rubbish. There's nothing to do. It always rains. Blah, 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 blah. All the usual stuff. And really fell in love with Belfast. Felt like God gave me a massive, massive heart for Northern Ireland and specifically Belfast. And just started to double down and set up my own business. And so what is my business? Well, it's actually, it's writing. Woo! 
we made it, guys. It's amazing. Uh, but basically, more specifically, I fell into branding and what's called copywriting, which basically means helping businesses share their stories. So complicated businesses, simple businesses, businesses you know, businesses you don't know. Basically, how do we communicate their story in an easy-to-understand way that makes you get it and makes them sell whatever it is they're trying to sell? All that sort of good stuff. So whether it's magazine articles, could be websites, I do the text. That's me. I'm the text guy. Tell my English lit teacher I found a way to make a living out of it. It's really, really great. And I've been really, really blessed. God has uh, given me a lot of favor in this area, and it's something that uh, I'm really, really grateful for. I also, as you can tell, a bit of a talker now, not like when I was a child. And so got into this weird and wonderful world of podcasting. Podcasting is basically an online radio show. And kind of in the whole vein of celebrating Belfast, celebrating Northern Ireland, basically started what we like to kind of call the anti-Stephen Nolan show. We were talking about that earlier on. An opportunity for people to come on and talk about all the good things in Northern Ireland, not about what's dividing us, not what's about uh, the bad things in the country, but actually the great things that are going on. Because I moved to Belfast, and I was like, this place is amazing. Like, God is doing crazy things in the... Uh, religious circles, in the faith circles, but also in the business world, like Belfast, it's kind of moving into its golden age. And after coming through the past that we have, I really feel strongly about kind of trying to be the positive change and kind of help move that forward. So I do that. And alongside that, kind of my, the, the cool thing to say these days is you're five to nine. What do you do after work? What's your passion project? What's your little side hustle? So my side project um, is really still writing and podcasting. It's just doing it really for myself. And so this really comes under the parameter of faith-based work. Just published my first book. Um, we have some in reception for you, completely free of charge. Please take it. I know a lot of you guys have been involved in the writing of that, in the funding of that. Uh, what is the book? Really simply, the book is a Christian book all about pornography. It's all about pornography addictions. I had an addiction to pornography from 11 years old until 15. The statistics speak for themselves. It's like at least 80% of young guys 60% of young women and kind of everyone else in between. And the people who've read the book, they've been young, they've been old, they've had gray hair, they've had no hair, they've been all over the place, Christian, non-Christian. And I have to say, like, I've been really, really blown away by the support, blown away by the feedback, and blown away by what God's doing through this book. So just a quick ask, if you'd like to read it, it's yours, please take it and please pass it on. I know it's impacted a lot of lives already, and I would like to just release this and allow God to do, continue to do what he's already doing in that. So there's a shameless plug already. I haven't even preached. Can you believe it? Uh, another thing I do is a daily kind of podcast. Well, not daily. It started off daily, but, you know, not very sustainable. Um, but basically, these are daily devotionals. So I send out a wee daily devotional email every day. If you'd like to get that, come see me afterwards, really simply. And then there's also an audio version on the podcast form. Okay, boom, here we go into today's message. So I definitely always had a skewed perspective on things like money, things like business, because I always just thought ministry is being on the streets with homeless people and serving them. And if you're not doing that, you don't really love the Lord and you're not really doing God's work. You're just some sort of greedy banker who's just trying to make loads of money. But being thrown into this kind of startup world, I work in this incredible building called Ormo Baths in Belfast. Really, really, really incredible. Uh, loads and loads of different businesses, loads of people just like me who are kind of starting out, some people much further along, but there's this whole community. And so I've kind of fallen into this weird, wonderful world of business and optimizing and processes and all this sort of jargon that I never really understood. But actually, there is, I believe, a lot that we can learn as a church from the business world. And kind of on the other hand, I think that the business world can learn a lot from the church. And I'm really interested in kind of bringing this stuff 
um, practically. So tonight, the kind of little message is time management for Christians. And that sounds very, very secular, the S word. So as, you know, to try to Christianify it, I suppose, you would say, becoming good stewards of our time. Isn't that what we like to say? We like to kind of put a nice little Christian bookmark sort of label on everything. And so today is all about being good stewards of our time. I'm excited to share, and uh, hopefully it will touch you. Hopefully it will make you think. This is basically going to be, I'm just going to download a whole bunch of stuff that I've been thinking about. It's not going to be diving really, really deep into stuff. It's going to basically, what I, what I want to achieve tonight is just to get you to think. I want you to go away look up some of the stuff I'm going to mention, but this is basically just to fly through some stuff and hopefully start a conversation that will lead to some interesting things. All right, so today's parable, today's Bible reading is Matthew 25, 14 to 30. If you'd like to turn to that, I'm obviously going to read it. Very, very well-known passage, parable of the three servants. People also call it the parable of the talents. People also call it the parable of the mina. People also call it the parable of the... There's many, many different words for it. It's in the moment where I hope I've got the right reference. I wrote it down, right? I'm going to come down here and read it off the big screen. Okay, so. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. These are Jesus' words. This is Jesus talking to his disciples and the people that were gathered around him. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called to them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant, to whom he had entrusted five bags of silver, came forward with five more and said, Master, you give me five bags of silver to invest, and I've earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you give me two bags of silver to invest, and I've earned two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gather crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least then I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take this money from this servant and give it to the one with 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now whenever there's weeping and gnashing of teeth in the Bible, that's serious. Like, that's a, it's a pretty brutal way to end any parable, never mind this one. So what's this all about? What does this have to do with time? Uh, let's hopefully find out. 
Three main points, just like any kind of good little sermon, a wee three-pointer has to be done. It's the only way to do a sermon, according to everyone that I read and everyone I see. So the first point is all about managing our time. The second point is about investing our time. And the third point is about multiplying our time. So the first point, managing our time. I just want to ask you, what do you think these, how many is there, five people have in common? So Bill Gates, Mike and Lou. By the way, no idea how to spell Lou, so I just said L-O. Not sure, is that it? Happy days. Uh, the Apostle Paul, me, Matthew Thompson, and Theresa May. Any ideas, you can shout out. There's only a small crowd. You won't be too shy. Parameters of time, by the way. Get time in your head. So we hint. Oh, no, no, everyone at once. Over here. Boom. One, nailed it in one. They all have 24 hours in a day. So Bill Gates... One of the most, is that even working? There, you just about to say it. Bill Gates has the exact same amount of time to run his business as I do. Mike and Lou, incredibly high-level people, you know, massive family. He's a doctor, massive family. You know, they have the same amount of hours in the day as Jackie and I do, a young couple that don't have kids and that have not as intense jobs as them. You know, the Apostle Paul, most itinerant writer in the New Testament, seems to be all over the place 24 hours in the day. And so really, the point I'm trying to get at here is that the excuse, I don't have enough time, is actually irrelevant. What I mean by that is, perhaps a better way to say it would be, it represents maybe a misunderstanding of our view on time. Because here's the reality, when he was on the earth, Jesus had 24 hours in a day, just like you and I. And the issue isn't so much that we don't have enough time, it's just that we don't know how to manage it properly. Now, I hope you receive that. I hope the walls are broken down, as the song was kind of saying. Because that can be, that's a little brutal to say, but hopefully as we kind of go through, you'll see where I'm going with this. Another question, who sets your schedule? The easy answer is, well, you do. So something that I try to do, my personal little goal, personal little challenge, I try to never say the words, I'm busy. I just try to blacklist it from my life because I hate hearing it. Because all the time, you're talking to people, how are you doing? Oh, so busy, flat out, really, really, really busy. Oh, head spinning, oh, you know, uh, floor to the board, like pedal to the metal, like da 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 And you're just kind of like, can we please, can we, sing a, can, I, can we sing a new song? Can we say something else? And also, well, why are you so busy? It's probably, like, it's your fault. Or whenever I, like, I'm prone to taking too much on. That's my natural bend. My natural bend is to be a yes man. It's yes, 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 yes. So you, it's an absolute nightmare if you're self-employed, as you can imagine. Uh, I have the worst boss in the world, as I always say. And who sets my schedule? It's me. So seeing if I'm feeling overloaded and burned out and too much work going on, the only person I have to blame is me, right? Now, what do people do all day? There are some things that we have to do. Kind of Maslow's hierarchy of needs for all the psychologists in the room. Uh, food, shelter, sleep, these things take time, okay? We were just talking at dinner time there. Doesn't it take an awful lot of time just to get the dinner out and do the dishes and get everything together and da-da-da-da-da-da-da? You know, you gotta eat. You gotta eat to live. Hopefully not live to eat, but if you're Northern Irish, chances are you probably do. Uh, shelter, all that housework, all that laundry, all that stuff takes time. And sleep, you know, how finite are we that we need at least six hours? Jackie's a six hours. I'm more like a 12-hour kind of guy just to function, massive part of our day, just poof, wiped out. Next kind of level, then you've got your family, your friends, and your faith. These are really important things. They take time. They deserve our time. We want to give generously of our time to these things, but it's another big thing. But take all that away, and what's left? What do we have? This is a very 
crude kind of way to, to represent this, but this is just the way I've chosen to do it. You often hear people say there's not enough hours in the day. Well, where do the other hours go? You could say commute. Most of us, I would say, spend at least an hour in the car every day. Some people, it's much less. Some people, it's much more. Some people walk to work. Some people cycle. Some people take the train. So I've just signposted it one to two hours, right? What else? TV, radio, entertainment, all that sort of stuff. One to two hours. Depends on who you are. Some people don't have a TV. Fair play it is. And the other one, phone and internet, I've just said one to 12 hours, depending on who you are. <laughs> so roughly speaking, I've said on average, each of us has at least between one hour and five hours a day to spend how we like, okay? Time is money. You hear that a lot, especially in my world. People say, time is money, time is money, time is money. I don't necessarily agree with that because actually money's infinite. Like there's oh, as much money as we want there to be in the world but there's only a certain amount of time. So actually time is much more precious than money. It's the scarcest resource we ever have. You can lose all your money, you can go bankrupt, you can get it back. You lose your time, it's never coming back. And I say this with a lot of love and I say this very tenderly, but a lot of us in here could really benefit from treating our time more like we treat our money. There's a lot of very frugal people in the room, there's a lot of very financially wise people here who are really great with money, but when it comes to time, it's flippant. So for me, I'm kind of twisting the par parable a wee bit, and I'm saying that we are like the servants in the parable because some of us have five hours, some of us have three hours. It's actually two, isn't it? Two talents, there we go. And some of us have one hour. And, you know, verse 15 says that the master, he divided it in proportion to their abilities. Now, again, take Mike and Lowe, perfect example. Mike and Lowe, three kids. Matthew and Jackie, zero kids, as of right now, unless you're hiding something from me. <laughs> so we have the ability to have more free time than Mike and Lowe do. Maybe some of you are retired in the room. Maybe some of you are still in secondary school. Maybe some of you are in university. Some of you work 60-hour weeks. So we each have a different ability of different free time. And I suppose... Yeah, I'll come back. I was going to say something, but I have to save it for later on. I have to stay on track. I have to keep the train moving. I'm a bit of a rambler, so I'm trying really, really hard here just to stay on track and not go over time. I'm trying to be a good preaching time management. Moving on to the second point is invest in our time. So the question, how are we investing our time? Are we good stewards, as we mentioned at the start, of our time, or are we digging it in the hole and throwing it away? Now, what I don't want you to hear from tonight is kind of it's very easy to play like a bit of a guilt trip and talk about, oh, you watch too much TV and you watch too much Netflix and why are you playing Call of Duty and da 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 That's not so much what I want to do. It's more so actually showing you the great opportunity that we have as believers, as men and women of God, as a church, to actually utilize our time and leverage our time and invest it in the places that God would have us invested in. This is just a quick little thing I've put together, kind of the compound nature of time. So again, if we take this parable um, in kind of numerical values, if we have five hours free in the day, it's 1,800 hours a year. Now, if someone could just go and give you 1,800 hours and say, spend this any way you want, and you could even get super spiritual. If someone said, instead of someone coming to you and giving you 10 grand and saying, I want you to open a new ministry and I want you to use this money to do, what if someone came to you and said, I'm going to give you 1,800 hours? You don't have to, you know, the only thing you have to do with these hours are, let's say, ministry or investing in your family or hanging out with your neighbors. Can you imagine if like, someone gave you even 100 hours and said, you're only allowed to spend this on your neighbors? Imagine the impact that would have in your neighborhood. 
Imagine the impact that would have on the people you live next door to, whether they're Christian or whether they're not. Or imagine your family. A lot of us come from fractured families. A lot of us maybe um, don't have the best relationship with them. Imagine if if we were just given, look, here's a thousand hours. The only thing you're allowed to do is go and see your family. What difference would that make? Again, I'm not playing a guilt trip. I'm just saying, great opportunity. Um, It's good to think about these things in these ways because sometimes it can kind of be like, oh, I've never, ah, what the heck, yeah. Okay, so questions. How are you investing your time? Where are you investing it? And why? And this why, I think, is, is really crazy. Back to the parable, back to the third servant, you know, the weeping and the gnashing of the teeth, all that sort of stuff. Again, just look at this. And look at the opportunity that's missed. Now, this is obviously, I'm, I'm kind of using a bit of a creative license here, or maybe I'm not, I don't think I'm stretching the parable too far, but, you know, we would do this for money, and we talk about investment, we talk about compound interest, we talk about dividends and all this sort of stuff, but I just want you to see kind of where your time goes and what that looks like if you were to bottle all that up and uh, put it together. The main thing that I want to communicate tonight is that God isn't so concerned about what we have, but rather what we do with it. So, Again, we're good at money when it comes to this sort of stuff. It's not about being a billionaire. It's about actually being generous with the little that God's given us. And our time's the same. And the other thing that I don't want you to do after going away from this sermon is to be a real miser with your time and to be like, I'm not giving that person my time. My time's really, really precious. Because God's called us to be generous and to, you know, to give freely of these things. But I would argue to give wisely and to have a lot of... Um, Prudence. What is that? Uh, innocent as does, but shrewd as snakes. Can you imagine Jesus saying that? Like, shrewd as snakes. That goes against everything you'd think that he would say. Don't say snake. That's the bad one. But anyway, he's called us to be shrewd, incredibly shrewd. Good example of this is the feeding of the 5,000. Wee boy only had five loaves, three fish. What did he do? He gave what he had. What did God do? He multiplied it. He made it stretch. He made it matter. He took a wee boy's lunch spinning it a wee bit. He took one woman's lunch break over a year. Look what he did with it. Number three, I'm really proud of myself. I'm, I'm on track. I'm, I'm, we're going to get out of here on time. That's great. The third point, the third thing I want to talk about is multiplying our time. And this is a little bit more of a stretch, so please stay with me. Um, you can put your hand up if there's any heresy or anything like that. But yeah, multiplying our time. So just to end, four kind of main ways that I think that we can multiply our time. The first one is probably the hardest one, and that is to say no. Second one is to be smart. It's a bit vague, but it'll make sense in a minute. Third one is Sabbath, the art of Sabbath and being human, as John Mark Comer says. And the fourth one is to play your part. So the first one, say no. As I said, I'm a yes man. This is the hardest thing for me and particularly coming from the ministry environment that I was, um, I, I just said yes to everything. And it's a great strength, and it's also a terrible weakness. It's a double-edged sword. It gets you, even in a business perspective, it gets you places, puts you in front of incredible people, but it makes it very hard to stay there because what happens, you take on too much, you burn out, you maybe get distracted, your priorities get out of whack and everything like that. I'm going to give you some examples of no in the Bible. First one is in Exodus 18. Please write these down and go and read them and think about them and reflect them on your own life. 
Moses and Jethro, this is class. Your father-in-law comes to visit you. You're the leader of Israel. You're a big deal. You just parted the Red Sea. And your father-in-law comes and sits you down and says, Moses, you've t- you're taking way too much on. Uh, mate, you've got to sort it out. You've got to delegate some of this responsibility because you're trying to do too much. You're trying to be a superhero, actually, instead of using the people around you and empowering them and empowering their leadership. Second one, it would be the apostles and the tables. I think this is really controversial. Like That verse is madness. The apostles get together and they basically say, look, it's, it's a waste of our time to, to serve the tables. Uh, we need to be dedicating ourselves to, to prayer and the teaching of the word. Now, it sounds great whenever the apostles say it, but like, think about what that would look like practically in this church. If someone comes and asks you and says, oh, can you, can you help serving the tea and coffee? And you say, no, sorry, I, I, I'm just dedicating myself to prayer and, and, and reading God's word. People would be like, who does this guy think that he is? This guy thinks so self-righteous. Oh, my goodness. But there was immense courage in there, and I'll kind of come back to that as well. And the third one is Jesus and the crowds. Again, this is, this is massive. The crowds are literally crying out for Jesus. The crowds want Jesus to come and, and speak to them and you potentially heal them or whatever it is. You know, again, it doesn't actually say. And Jesus retracts. Jesus says, no, I'm going to go to the mountains with my disciples. Or they say, we want you to go here. And he says, no, no, no. I'm not just called to this area, but I'm called to all of Israel. And off he goes. And that's, that's hard. That's really, really big. And I think in a, usually in a Christian environment, it's not something that we talk about or we think about, but it's, I think, very, very important. Okay. Again, a bit of a wild card. Please stay with me. Second point is to be smart and leverage stuff. There's another good business word, isn't it, John? Leverage. Leverage everything. Um, we do have an immense opportunity in this technological age. Uh, I always, I'm always harping on about social media and about Facebook and all that sort of stuff. And actually, I'm, I'm, let, me, let me rant a wee bit. See social media, see YouTube, see all these things. They're incredible things. They're incredible connectors. But I've been in meetings with technology startups all about one thing, and that is how can we get our users to spend more time on our app there are teams of people literally dedicated to getting us to spend more time on our phones. And not just like, oh, how can we make it more fun, but hiring like neuro-linguistic programmers, people who understand how the brain works, people who understand how to manipulate the human mind and the human body and all this sort of stuff. A lot of the social media mechanics, so we've a bit technical, but stick with me. A lot of the social media, the way they're built, it's actually, they, they flew in consultants from Las Vegas who knew how to uh, play uh, on addictions and play on like slot machines and try to get people to hook in, and they're built in the same sort of way and on the same sort of thing. And that's just to make you aware, so I can't really lean on the Lord's table, can I? I feel, that's my... Uh, old RP backgrounds, I nearly thought I was going to be struck dead. Oh, no. Um, so, again, a, side, a little aside, but just to make us aware, there are people who are trying to manipulate our time. And that's not to say that these people are evil criminals. I'm not saying that Lucifer himself is, you know, sitting behind Mark Zuckerberg or anything like that, but it's just to make us aware. They make us maybe um, think about things that we don't usually think about. Okay, so how can we leverage our time with technology? Uh, these are really silly. These are really simple, but I'm all for... Uh, working smarter instead of working harder. And really simply, right? Something simple. These are just silly examples just to get the ball rolling. Tesco's delivery, okay? Like, here's what you can do. 
You can take your three kids and you can fight through traffic and you can go through the rain and you can go around Tesco and you can spend an hour and a half, if not more, getting everyone together, da da da, or you can spend 15 minutes on a lovely app and you know what? You might even have to pay £3.50. And you save so much time. <laughs> okay? Here's another thing. Anyone have a slow cooker? Right? We love slow cookers in our house, right? Why is he preaching about slow cookers? He's lost the rag, clearly, right? See, instead of coming home after a long day of work and making a big, massive dinner and doing loads and loads of dishes, we just throw stuff in the slow cooker before we go to work, we come home, we eat it, and you have one dish to wash, and then that's that. What do you save? You might save an hour, okay? I'm being a wee bit pedantic here, but, you know, this is welcome to my mind, right? Um, the third one is audio, okay? So I've mentioned podcasting, but think about that commute. Think about your time on the train. Think about your time walking to school. Think about your time driving in the car. Some of us spend 15 hours in the car a week. What if we were able to leverage that time for calling our friends, calling our family, for listening to a Christian podcast, for praying to the Lord, for listening to the audio Bible. There's a great David Suchet audio Bible and his voice is just absolutely unbelievable. It's like the most basic thing. You're like driving to work and you're listening to, you know, Jeremiah or something. You think the whole world's about to end because it's just, uh, amazing. But how much of the Bible can you blast through if you were to start listening to that, right? Really, really simple. It's not rocket science. But instead of just maybe sitting there and look, if you want to drive to work and not be stimulated, that's actually okay because you need some time in your life for silence. But again, you're pushing the kids, you're pushing the pram around Hillsborough Lake on a walk. Why not stick a wee podcast in? Why not, you know, dedicate? You know what? Every time I walk around Hillsborough, I'm going to pray for Lynn and Celestino. Something like that, right? Okay, leverage other people. Now, this is really pushing the boat out. How dare you say leverage other people? This is terrible. Examples of this? I'm just going to put three up, okay? I am hopeless when it comes to DIY. I'm putting my manhood on the line there. I'm saying that actually in our household, Jackie is incredible at fixing stuff. Uh, the perfect example is this week, I was trying to fix a door, and I was, the door, <sighs> the door was hitting against the frame. It wouldn't close properly, right? And here I was, and I had the tools out, and I was trying to figure it out, and I was trying to get the hinges, and the next thing you know, I had the sandpaper, and I was trying to sand it down. And Jackie was like, no, 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 what are you doing? And literally within five minutes, boom, door was fixed, and I was just like, I'm so humiliated. I feel like I've lost all masculinity. I had to really, it was a real hard pill to swallow, right? But I, like, again, some of us in here need to actually, instead of trying to put the kitchen in ourselves, we need to pay someone to do it because it's going to take us 400 hours uh, that could be spent serving the Lord, could be spent seeing our family, could be spent whatever that thing is, instead of us spending probably more money and more time than we need to because of some sake of pride or some sake of whatever it is. A gardener, some of you guys just need to fork the money out for a gardener. Honestly, see by the time you get the lawnmower out and you go around and you, 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 know, you spend all Saturday and then you come into church and you're so proud, you say, oh, what, what did you do on Saturday? Oh, well, you know what I did? I did the whole garden and I trimmed it and I did that, 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 that. And you're like, oh, you mean you did what Murdy could do in 20 minutes? <laughs> cool. I'm really impressed. That's great. And again, if you want to do that, if that ticks your boxes, if that gives you rest, if that feels you, work away. But you can leverage other people too. A uh, little quick thing about the book. I wrote the whole book on Sunday mornings in McDonald's in Sprucefield. 
whenever I left Jackie off to work at half seven. So between half seven and 11 o'clock, and this would be maybe twice a month uh, over the course of a year and a half. And that's when I wrote the book. Uh, I also know a man, he wrote a book on his lunch break. Just every single lunch break, he would take half an hour and he would write it, and he's already finished. Took him six months. We've got time. It's just about how we use it. Okay, here's a little secret about your pastor, okay? (laughs) (laughs) This last slide here, you know what a lot of us do? A lot of us try to leverage our pastor in a bad way. What I mean by that is we try to outsource the ministry to this man and other pastors, not just... You know, church capital C, not church lower C, not just Hope Church, but churches everywhere. But there is a really unhealthy perception, attitude that says ministry is for the man of God or the woman of God who has been given, uh, you know, the place in front of the pulpit on a regular basis. And actually, what Bill has done, what Pastor Bill has done and has always been about and is really, really walking into now is he's actually trying to leverage us. Because if you look at the Bible, and this is my opinion, you may disagree with me, the role of a pastor is to equip the saints for ministry. The role of a pastor is not to do the ministry. He actually should not be serving the tables and should not, he should be dedicating his time and he should be using us. And it's us who should be leveraged in this situation because we are the body. We are the people who should be going and doing this work. And so when we come to Bill and we say, oh, and we try to offload responsibility and offload all this sort of stuff to Bill or to Pastor Thomas or to the other leadership team, we're actually taking Bill away from the things that he's supposed to be doing. And so again, I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but I just kind of want to put that there because we should be trying to take things off of this man's plate instead of adding to it, and we should be part of the solutions that are part of the problems, right? So a quick thing. Uh, take the Sabbath. I think that's the third point. I didn't put numbers up, so I'm absolutely lost. But take the Sabbath, okay? Uh, it's prescribed for your own good. The Sabbath is like medicine that your doctor tells you to take, and we don't take it because we say, no, nah, I'm not going to take it. I think, I, I think I'm okay without it. I don't know how many of you are weird about going to the doctor, um, but... Jesus said the Sabbath was uh, not made for man. Well, man wasn't made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. The Sabbath is a gift for us to partake in. Now, you have all the free will and you've all the right in the world to reject that, but we're a fool if we do. Uh, God has blessed that time. Okay, Jamie's laughing. Jamie and I and Jackie and Celine, we were in Cork last week for my birthday. And on the long drive, we listened to this incredible book. I'm going to put it up. It's called Garden City by John Mark Comer. He talks all about Sabbath. He talks all about rest. But he had this mind-blowing point about the Sabbath. First page of the Bible, right? God created heaven and the earth, all that kind of sequence. And God saw it was very good and all this sort of stuff. God blesses three things in Genesis. He blesses the animals, be fruitful and multiply. He blesses us, mankind, humanity, be fruitful and multiply. And he blesses the Sabbath. He blesses a day. He blesses a time. He doesn't bless a thing. He blesses a space in the time continuum. There you go. I'm trying to dip into my science again, Rachel. And what he said, and I found this very, very interesting, is that actually the, goal, the purpose of the Sabbath is to multiply our time. 
the same way that the animals and, and humanity was supposed to multiply, that blessing speaks of multiplication. How do I kind of contextualize this? It would be like, do you ever remember whenever you were a kid and you're driving to Newcastle and it feels like it takes you four days to get there? And now you do it and it feels like that. I think it's something like that. And what I mean is on the Sabbath, it's a day to rest. It's not a day to run to and fro and get busy and juggle things and get distracted and just let your time go really, really, really quickly. But it's actually a time where we intentionally slow our day down, slow our time down and make us feel like we actually have more time. And what does that do for us in a day and an age where we are flat out and we feel so busy and we feel so rushed? The Sabbath is just like the beautiful part of the week to just boop, press that reset button to energize us and to equip us more to do the ministry and the work and handle all the responsibilities that God's called us to do. Again, you could do a whole sermon series on the Sabbath, but whatever. And one, I remember writing something one time about a bow and an arrow on the Sabbath and just that idea that actually for an arrow to go further, it has to be pulled back. And that's what the Sabbath is. The Sabbath is a pulling back so that we can go further. I've worked, you know, I've overloaded myself with work, and I know that my work is much more efficient and much better whenever I take that time to pull myself back. It's the same with the Sabbath. Read this, Garden City, John Mark Comer. Check it out. By the way, if you want these slides, uh, I can email them to you. If you want this book, I can give you an Amazon link, whatever it is, but you've got to read this. It's unbelievable. Okay, I think this is the last point. It's the second last point, and this is play your part. You know, I think there's a, there's a rap song coming in my head right now. Is that even legal? Uh, but he, he talks about, like, it's a, actually a Shakespeare quote reworked, but it's something like, we all play uh, a character in a stage of life. We all have a part to play. It's also biblical, Second Corinthians 12. You know, we are all part of the same body, but we are all a unique part of that body. Uh, again, go and read Second Corinthians 12. Think about this. Reflect on this. And... Hands versus feet. I don't know why this just came in my head, but if I was to walk to this back here and go and say hello to, to Ken, see Ken there, but if I was to walk to Ken on my hands, it would take me much longer than it would if I was to walk there on my feet. And there's lots of hands in the room that are trying to be like feet, and there's lots of feet in the room that are trying to be like hands. Like what I was saying about me and Jackie earlier on, like something that was prophesied over me actually at our wedding by Roberta. Uh, she said, Matthew, you know, just whenever we were praying for you, I just saw a big foam finger over you. She said, you're like a big foam finger, you know, like a big Belfast Giants, like something you would cheer on. And that's what I am. I, I am a fingertip. I am not Derek Totten that goes out and builds houses with his hands like a real manly man, you know? I am a, wee, I am a guy who sits on his keyboard and just type, 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 or gets his pen and does this. I'm a fingertip and I'm a, I'm a tongue. That's what I am, right? I am a voice, a mouthpiece, and I am a, I'm a, I'm a writer. That's what I'm called to do. I'm a communicator. And when I try to step away from that, and it's not that I just sit back and be like, all right, you guys, like, you do all of this. Like, I'm, but it's learn to be comfortable with who you are and the part that you're called to play. And guys, like, some of us have more respected and more glamorous jobs than others. Um, some of us are elbows. I heard someone say that one time. No one wants to be an elbow. Like, how boring is that? Like, everyone wants to be something exciting, like a brain or an eye. But imagine if you were called to be an elbow or like a wee toe. How, how, like, how sad would that be? But it's needed. 
If you don't have a wee toe, your balance is way off. If you don't have an elbow, you're walking around like this all the time. And so it takes, you know, some of us, it takes humility to step into that. Others, it takes immense courage. And, you know, we've all heard this stuff before, but how does this move in the time? Oh, he's freaking out. His name just went up. Oh, no, John McGregor. Uh, great man to talk up to about this is John McGregor. Um, he's helped me a lot when it comes to this sort of stuff. Go talk to him if you are struggling with this or you're interested in this or you just want to hear what John has to say, uh, which is quite a lot, John, isn't it? <laughs> so landing the plane here, what, what, a, what a modern thing to say, just going to land the plane. Um, this is really all about identity. And the reason why it's all about identity, it's really about knowing yourself. And it's about becoming comfortable with who God has called you to be. I have spent too much of my life trying to be something that I'm not. I've tried to be the high-energy, super-servant-hearted guy that would take on everything and could solve everyone's problems. And there are people in the world who can do that. I've met them. They're they are exceptional. The more they hang out with people, the more that gets put on top of them, the more energy they have. Not me. I, took, I, I learned that the hard way, and I learned that the stubborn way, because that's what I wanted to be. Don't know why. You can psychoanalyze me afterwards, but that's just what I wanted. And now, you know, came back from New York. I don't know if you've experienced this, Jimmy, but almost like a certain level of like, what would you call it? Missionary guilt or ministry guilt, where you come away from really serving hands-on, like I was saying, homelessness and all this sort of uh, exciting type of ministry. And then God calls you to, you know, go and do business. You're like, boring. That's not, that's not holy, you know what I mean? But actually, everything is holy, everything's sacred. The things that God calls us to are incredibly important. So you got to know yourself. you got to be confident and courageous that actually this is what God's called me to be. This is what God's called me to do. And see, to say no to stuff, you can only say no to stuff if you have these things sorted. And you need an incredible amount of courage to say no. Again, full disclosure, if you look at my notebook, I have this page that says say no. And I've, it's split in half, and it's called wins versus losses. Uh, it's a bit extreme. It's not called losses, but I've, whatever. And I actually write down every time I say no, because it's something that is so hard for me to do. Whenever I say no, I celebrate because it's something that I'm really trying to work on, but it takes a lot of guts. Um, you know, to say no to really good opportunities as well, that's lethal. But the only way that I'm going to be able to achieve the things that God's called me to do is if I actually learn to do that. Um, great book by John Bevere, Good or God. The whole idea is there's a lot of good things in life, but there's only a few God things. Too many of us say yes to the good things and let the God things slip us by. There are things in life that look good and seem good, and no one would ever, no one in this church would question you doing it. Something like serving prisoners, right? Like who would ever say no to that? But actually, it might not be what God has for you. And if we try to force that through, we end up just breaking stuff. Jamie said something really interesting when we were in the car. He was talking about God's favor, and he was saying sometimes you have to follow God's favor on your life. And these are the things that doors just open, right? For me, in this season of my life, it's business. Like, I am I'm put in places that I don't deserve to be. I'm put in front of people that I are incredibly more qualified than I am, but the doors just open, and they open, and they open, and they open, and I am shaking, and I'm trembling, and I'm saying, Lord, is this a door you want me to go through? And he says, yes. I say, okay, and then we go, and then we go, and then we go, and then we go, 
instead of me trying so hard, banging on doors that he doesn't have for me. Now, there's a time to be persistent. There's a time to fight. There's a time to push. But a lot of times, following his will, you will know when you're in it because you'll find his favor. You'll find his blessing in that. And again, I think there's people in the room tonight that are just they're knocking on doors that actually they're not yours to open. Okay, so the promise of this parable, the big kind of key takeaway is this. To those who use well what they're given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. This is my heart for us tonight and specifically with time. I think whenever we honor our time, whenever we are faithful with the little that God's given us, that he will give more to us. Now, am I saying you're going to be the special person that has 48 hours in the day instead of 24? No. But maybe you won't be as overloaded. Maybe you won't be as burdened. Maybe you won't be as stressed. Because actually the things in your calendar, the things on your to-do list, they're actually put there by God. And something that I always say, I'm like beating a, beating a drum over and over and over again. I was writing something about this this morning. It's looking at the life of Jesus. That whole idea... I remember I was preaching about this one other time and how Jesus does what he sees the Father doing. And if we're honest, how many of us in our daily devotionals every day or once a week or whatever it is you do, sit down and say, God, what would you have me do today? What would you have me do this week? So many of us are freaking out. I don't know God's will for my life. I don't know what to do. I don't know his plan for me. I don't know his way. But have we actually even stopped to ask? And not even the big, massive, I want you to move to Zimbabwe and da, 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 but actually just the small things. Lord, what do you want me to do today? How do you want me to spend this evening? What do you want me to do in my lunch break? Small things like that. Because once we take care of the small things, again, feeding the 5,000, he takes that, he blesses it, and he multiplies it. That's it. Just going to pray. Father, thank you very much for tonight. Thank you very much for the opportunity just to share. Lord, I thank you for the openness and the uh, receptiveness of people. And again, like I prayed at the start, Lord, I pray for anything that was out of whack or anything that was just that I said, Lord, let's just let that stuff melt away. But Lord, anything that you had for us when it comes to our time, how we can be good stewards of our time, how we can be wise about our time, and ultimately how we can make a big impact with the life that you've given us. Lord, there are some incredibly gifted and talented people in this room. Lord, you have a plan for every single person in this room. And Lord, I know that you want us to spend our time in ways that honor you. You want us to rest. You want us to relax. You want us to unwind. But Lord, you also want us to work. You also want us to build the kingdom. And that is such an incredible opportunity and such an honor to be a part of. So Lord, please give us wisdom. Please show us where our time is going, things you would like us to change, and just a lot of courage. Help us to be more comfortable and more confident in who you've made us to be, the gifts that you've given us. And Lord, I pray that you will open doors in the direction you want us to walk. And I pray for your wisdom, your guidance, and your favor. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.